children are a heritage from 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 the Lord children are a heritage from the Lord Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Abolish Abortion Missouri podcast, where we believe children are a heritage from the Lord, and we are working toward the immediate and total abolition of abortion in Missouri. I'm your host, Brandon. This is episode six, and I am not joined by anyone today. I am uh, all alone, and uh, I, in spite of that, I am happy to be here and addressing our listeners once again. The reason is that something that I would like to do on this podcast, um, not, not infrequently, is just talk about the gospel, right? We, of course, uh, have, have done that throughout the the last five episodes anyway. We want to do that often. We want to show how our purposes and our goals for the abolition of abortion are gospel-centered. That's even one of the five tenets of abolition. We say it is gospel-centered because it addresses sin as sin, right? We don't simply say that uh, abortion is, uh, well, certainly it's not a a gray area. It's not uh, left up to the choice of the mother, but we even go further and we don't call women who seek out abortions mere victims. As a matter of fact, as Kevin Myers has said, oftentimes what the pro-life movement does is go and treat women as victims in, in terrible situations like you know, rape or life of the mother situations. But what happens is that when we just call them victims and we excuse them getting abortions or we even allow for the possibility of them getting abortions, we actually turn victim into villain. And because of that, and because of the great evils that even the pro-life movement has so often um, allowed, supported, codified into law, because of that, we have failed to call sin, sin. And it is only when we call sin, sin, that we can truly address it, right? Without the ability to acknowledge that we need saving from our sin, we can't even understand the hope of the gospel. And so what I want to do today is just take a little bit of time and consider in a greater fullness how the gospel speaks to those who have been involved in abortion. How does the gospel speak to those who have been involved in abortion? In one of my uh, favorite scenes in any movie, it, it is in um, The Two Towers. It's the Lord of the Rings series in The Two Towers. And there's this moment where, where the, the king, his name's Aragorn. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it for you. I'm going to assume that the movies have been out and the books have been out long enough that hopefully all those of you who are listening have some familiarity with them. But if not, I guess I could say spoiler warning. Anyway, the... the King Aragorn, or, or, you know, soon-to-be king, and his compatriots are holed up at this, at this tower, this, this keep, and there's this large army, 10,000 orcs, that are raining down on them, or bearing down on them, and they're preparing for battle, 
And there's this, this young man and he's sitting looking dejected and Aragorn walks up to him and says, what's wrong? And and he says, well, we're all afraid. You know, the men say it's hopeless. And Aragorn, he grabs the young man's sword and it's not a, not a super nice sword. It's clearly been worked and, 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 uh, created and crafted quickly, but he, he swings it around and, after he has, has kind of sampled it, made sure that it's, you know, strong and, and well-balanced, he looks at the young man and he says, this is a good sword. And then he says, and there is always hope. There's always hope. And I, I love that scene. I love that scene. I, I know that uh, when, when we think about the fights that we have in front of us, abortion as Christians, abortion is one of the greatest, one of the ones that uh, grieves our hearts the most. You know, it, it is, it is such an assault on everything that we, we love and hold dear when it comes to our fellow human beings. And we have just relegated an entire class of them to uh, being exterminated. And I'm sure that there are Many people, people who have been fighting the abolition battle for longer than I've been alive, I'm sure that there are many who have at times wondered, is, that, is it hopeless? Is this enemy just too great, too strong, too much? It seems like it's hopeless. And in, in the movie, The Two Towers, I recognize it's a fantasy movie, but in that movie and in that scene when Aragorn just swings that little kid's weapon around and then says, there is always hope. I find it to be such a wonderful scene. First, because it reminds us that even in dark days, there's something that's worth hoping in. There's something to be hopeful for. And of course, for us in the dark days surrounding abortion and the, the last 50 years of, of millions of babies being murdered, Uh, As Wes said, I believe in our very first episode, the Supreme Court, all they could come out and do and say and say was this was an error and we want to fix it when what is needed is repentance and sackcloth and ashes for the great tragedy and the great Holocaust that's been committed against our own people, against our fellow human beings. And it can be in, in the face of that when we see how dark and, 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 and dreary, this pall that hangs over us because of abortion is, it can cause us to be hopeless. But when we have the gospel, when we have the gospel, we are reminded that no matter how bad things get, we serve a great king who works all things together for good, for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. So I love the scene in that movie because it, it it, it, it reminds us to be hopeful, even in dark days. It reminds us there's, there's something worth fighting for. And certainly the abolition of abortion is something worth fighting for. But more than that, it also it, it implies that our hope in the fight is at least in part tied to the suitableness of our weapons. Right? That's why Aragorn says this is a good sword and there is always hope. It's because our hope in the fight is, is tied, is connected to, at least in, a, in part, to the suitableness of our weapons for the fight. And I think that there's great application there for us, too, when we consider the gospel. 
because our greatest weapon in the fight against abortion is not legal um, loopholes or uh, legal battles, fighting battles in the courts, or, or even merely changing people's minds about whether or not you know, a, a baby in the womb is truly a baby, or whether or not murder is always wrong, or whether or not equal protection ought to be extended to the least of these. Those are all incredibly important. But our greatest weapon in the fight against abortion is the gospel, right? That's why Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And that's why he tells us to take up the sword of the spirit, right? The power of God for salvation. The weapons of our warfare for tearing down strongholds are wrapped up in, connected to the gospel. And so abortion, both in in law and even in the secret practices of, of the homes where self, self-abortions basically are being performed, pills are being taken, even beyond that in the thinking of so many who are pro-abortion, whether they've gotten an abortion or not, in all of those areas, it is a, a sheer a, a stronghold of Satan that has to be attacked and torn down. And the only way we stand a chance to do that truly is the gospel. So I know we've, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast uh, and we've talked a lot of, uh, and spent a lot of time on what we should say about those who are involved in abortion, right? We, we have said that for those people who are involved in abortion, whether it's those doctors who have performed the abortions, mothers who have hired an assassin to kill their child, uh, abusive husbands or fathers pressuring families who have, who have for, for one reason or another, forced or, or coerced their, their daughter or their, the, the gal who's pregnant to get an abortion, and even pro-life legislators and pro-choice legislators who have all said, we want to go ahead and make laws that regulate abortion or make it completely legal. We, we've talked a lot about those people. We've talked about what we should say about those involved in abortion, right? In varying degrees, they've either tacitly approved or explicitly endorsed or even actively participated in the murder of unborn children created in God's image. And we've talked about how people who've done this must repent of their sins, They must recognize that they've not only been involved in murder, but that they've also, much more importantly, dishonored the sovereign Lord and King of the universe. And so they deserve his wrath and judgment. But I want to ask, you know, we've talked about that. We've spent a lot of time on that. I want to ask instead, maybe we could say it like this, what should we say to those involved in abortion? We've asked, what should we say about those involved in abortion? But what should we say to those involved in abortion? And the answer to that question is very different, right? The answer to that question is glorious. The answer to that question is, is, is that although they have lived in rebellion to the king of the universe, he is not an unforgiving king. And the good news is that God has demonstrated his love to his enemies, even to murderers, in that while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. The gospel is the news that Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, was conceived and born and then lived a perfect sinless life 
and yet freely gave himself up to be unjustly murdered and sacrificed for sinners on a cross. And God says he will pardon and forgive the sins of all those who would repent of their sins and trust in Jesus to be their substitute. That's glorious news, right? That's the gospel. One person sacrificing himself for others. As we've heard on this podcast in the uh, last several weeks, abortion is like the anti-gospel, isn't it? Abortion is the anti-gospel. Instead of saying, I will die for you, as the gospel says, as Jesus says, abortion says, no, you will die for me. The gospel says that another person's life is more important than my own, right? That Christ says, I'm going to give up my own life, lay down my life for others. But what does abortion say? Abortion says, no, my life is more important than someone else's. My life is worth protecting in order to kill, you know, for the sake of or or willing to kill somebody else so that my life can be protected. As it was mentioned, I believe, two or three episodes ago, you know, we would just be shocked. We'd, we'd, We'd be horrified if... In the case of an active shooter, some mother might lift up her one-year-old child in order to protect herself and, and put her child in, in the line of fire to take the bullet so that the mother didn't have to. And yet that's exactly what's going on in abortion, whether it's for the sake of convenience or truly tragic situations. And, and we have recognized and talked about the fact that they are truly tragic, tragic situations. But at the end of the day, Abortion is the anti-gospel. Abortion says that a child must be sacrificed for the sake of someone else, and thus it paints a distorted picture of the gospel. If a person has sinned against God by, by thinking or acting wrongly regarding abortion, we, we, we must not tell them that they are not to blame. Right? This is why we care so deeply about equal protection, as, as Kevin Myers so aptly and, and succinctly and, and clearly put it, abolition, the position of abolition is loving. It's loving to all parties involved. It's loving in part because we're telling people, no, just because you hired an assassin to kill your child, it does not mean that you are a victim. No, you are a villain. And that means you are guilty before God and you need to be forgiven. You need the gospel. So we must tell people the truth, right? When we want to talk about what we must say to those involved in abortion, we must tell them the truth. We have to tell them first that they are guilty, and yet we must also tell them that there is good news. The good news is that Jesus is not an unforgiving king, and he stands always ready to forgive and restore those who would just say we could we could say it like this, put down your weapons and admit defeat, right? Put down your weapons and surrender. The old hymn says, I surrender all. Well, when we think about an enemy doing that, Jesus died for his enemies. When we think about an enemy doing that, it's saying surrender your weapons and, and admit defeat and, and, and say, I'm, I'm happy to serve you as the king. And the good news is that Jesus, because he's not an unforgiving king, 
when we lay down our arms, when we admit defeat, when we agree with him about the state of our souls and the neediness of our souls for salvation, then Jesus not only restores us and forgives us and begins to heal us, not only does he just treat us as citizens in his kingdom, but he turns and treats us as co-heirs of the kingdom with him because the Father adopts us as children in the family of God. And that means then, because of that, because of this good news, that there is great freedom in admitting our sinfulness with regard to abortion. Because as David recognized when he sinned with Bathsheba, we have to say the same about abortion, that it is chiefly not a sin against unborn children, as grievous as that is. It is not ultimately or chiefly a sin against unborn children, but against God who said, who declared, you shall not murder. This means that when we deny the sinfulness of killing children in the womb, we're creating we could say, an an alternate reality where we live in disharmony with the real world, right? When we uh, lie, when we lie about who is truly guilty or the degrees of guilt, when we lie and say that a child that is only five weeks old uh, is not a human, but a child that is six six weeks old somehow is, or when we lie and we tell a woman who has had an abortion that she was a victim and that that's the only possible way to think about that scenario, right? We've, we've talked about nuances and and recognizing that there are some times where there are extenuating circumstances, absolutely 100%. But when we tell all women across the board or any class of people across the board that they can abort a child, murder a child and that they're not guilty What we've done is we've created an alternate reality where we live in disharmony with the real world because the real world is a world run by Christ, the King. And you can only live so long in disharmony with his world before it has major consequences on your life, on your soul even. Living in the darkness of of sin acceptance slowly but surely shrivels up your soul. And it leaves you much emptier than your sin in and of itself ever would have. There have been many times that I have talked to people who have had abortions. And if they have lived long in the denial that what they did was exceedingly wrong, you watch and, and they have just turned into shells of people. They have turned into angry, bitter, sorrowful, resentful people. And they have a hard time even being able to, you know, coerce with, you know, um, know, (laughs) coerce with, converse with people because of how angry and bitter they become. Those are the people, consequently, that um, we we often see on the media, the people who are dancing and yelling and screaming and shouting about abortion rights and things like that. They have had abortions and they are just angry, bitter, shriveled up people not free, but instead in bondage to their sin and the distortion of reality that they've had to create for themselves in order to be able to, to, to live with that cognitive dissonance. No, sin truly eats us alive from the inside out.
And what I would say to them is that I have seen people on the other side as well, people who have repented, trusted in Christ, and they will all say that the more that they tried to hide behind the false reality that they'd created, the more empty and shriveled up they felt. And the gospel frees us from that. When we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we're freed from needing to live with the cognitive dissonance that leads to that mental discord, that that alternate reality that we have to force ourselves to try to live in. And because of this, the gospel is good news. It's, It's good news for the salvation of our soul, but it's good news for the enjoyment of our soul, for the freedom of our soul, even right now, right here. And we need to tell people this. When we go and stand outside uh, Planned Parenthood, we go stand outside abortion mills, when we're talking to people as we're witnessing to them on the street or even on social media, we need to be explaining to them not just that they're guilty of sin, not only that abortion is murder, not only convincing them of these facts and these details, absolutely we should do that, but what we truly need to do, what we need to say to those involved in abortion is that there is good news even for someone who's killed a child. If, if you're someone and, and, and the sin that, that you have committed in, in, with regard to abortion is simply that you've thought wrongly about it. You've been pro-choice. You've never gotten an abortion. Maybe you've even said, you know, I, it's not for me. I wouldn't do it, but I'm pro-choice. I believe people ought to have that, that uh, in their own you know, uh, choice, in their own uh, free exercise of their beliefs or whatever. Well, even for people who have just thought wrongly about this issue, they are certainly in sin. And yet there's good news because the gospel frees us not only to let go of our sinful actions, but also of our sinful thoughts. In in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, I remember it used to, and it it still is is pretty common, but it used to, to be very popular to say, something along the lines of it's, it's not who you are, but what you do that defines you. <laughs> I think that was in a Batman movie. I think it was in a, a popular rock song at one point. But it's, it's not you know, who we are, but what we do that defines us. And that is very backwards from what the Bible says, which is that who we are is who defines us because who we are is defined not by us, but by God. And so when we want to be transformed, it's not by our actions. It's by the renewing of our minds. Ultimately, it's tied to the believing of the gospel. The renewing of our minds happens through God's word, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. The facts are that Jesus died for our sins and even the ones that we commit in secret, even the sins that we only think but never act upon. He died for these sins as well. And he did this so that we are free to confess them, repent of them, be forgiven for them, and to think rightly, to renew our minds and how we think about them. But the gospel, it goes further. We need to tell those who have merely thought wrongly about abortion, we need to tell them the gospel. But the gospel is not only for those who've simply believed wrongly about our preborn neighbors, it's also for all those who have been involved in abortion in one way or the other. 
you know, I can, I can say on the one hand that my desire is, is to see abortion abolished and criminalized and equal protection and even, yes, uh, women who have, with malice and forethought, you know, killed their children, hired somebody to kill their children. I can say that I want them uh, held to the same standards that anybody who hires a hitman would be held to. And yet, at the same time, I can say that I want to hold out hope and forgiveness to those who've done those things that are evil. I can tell them that there is mercy from God for the very things that, that if we had a more just society would have been punished in the civil realm. Right? I can tell them that even if they deserve punishment from men, they certainly deserve more from God, and yet God has promised that there is a substitute. There is a substitute. And we, this is something wonderful for us because we don't want to, to simply, you know, even if we see the abolition of, of abortion in Missouri in our lifetimes, we don't want to simply step back from that and say, well, we, we've, we've done our duty. We will wipe our hands off and say good work, clap each other on the backs and, and go on. No, we want to see the gospel take root in people's lives so that abortion is not only punished by the civil realm, but that it's continually preached against, taught against, and that the gospel is held up as the answer to abortion at all times. The gospel is for all types of people, because Jesus has suffered for and identified with all types of people. He was murdered, he suffered unjustly, he was tortured and crucified, and he did this both to identify with those who had suffered unjustly and also to cover the very sins of those who had caused unjust suffering. Jesus, in his death, he identifies with the hurt and the oppressed. He absolutely does, those who have suffered unjustly. But he also, he covers the sins. He purchases forgiveness for those who have caused unjust suffering. And that is good news for all people everywhere. And because of that, that means that it's good news for those who've been involved in abortion as well. And so, in light of that, when we think about what we would say to those people who've been involved in abortion, we find that we're able to go to them lovingly, earnestly, and hopefully. And I hope and I pray that as you go, and I want you to go, I want you to go and stand on street corners. I want you to go and stand outside Planned Parenthood when you can, and as you have time and opportunity. I want you to, if you're able. But I want you to go lovingly and earnestly and hopefully. That doesn't mean timidly. That doesn't mean uh, that we shrink back from conflict or confrontation. That doesn't mean that at all but it does have something to do with what it is that we say to those who've been involved in abortion. We have to tell them the gospel. We have to go to them and, and find, when we go to them, we find that there's no reason to, to speak to them with malice in our hearts. Right? They've done evil things. Many of them are fully or, 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 or completely given over to this particular sin and the, the hatred in their heart and the shriveling of their soul in this particular area. But the truth is, such were all of us before we were forgiven. 
And of course, apart from the ongoing grace of, of God in our lives, we would find ourselves slipping back into that all the time in so many different areas. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins, and we would certainly not be being sanctified if it weren't for the gospel. And so since we have experienced the great and amazing grace of God, then when we go, and we must go, but when we go and proclaim the gospel of the grace of God in Christ to even the worst enemies of abolition, the worst enemies of unborn children, when we do that, we can do it confidently, powerfully, and also lovingly, graciously, and hopefully. We must go and it will be confrontational if we're going to warn them of the judgment that they face while they refuse to repent. And we, it'll be confrontational if we tell them about the great evils that they have committed or are committing. It'll be confrontational when we attempt to, to stop them from committing further evil. And yet, at the same time that we're being confrontational, we can also tell them that they can be forgiven and freed from it all if they would but just turn to Jesus for mercy. And of course, again, that's not to say that if abortion were to be criminalized and someone murdered a child in the womb and then repented, that there should be no civil consequences, okay? I'm not saying that uh, the civil authorities are commanded by God to punish civil evil. And so we would, we would of course, keep that separate. But the reason why that's not a deterrent to our case or in any way causes us to shrink back is because Jesus tells us that we need not fear him who can kill only our body, but instead that we should ultimately only fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. In other words, the greatest enemy that a child murderer faces is not civil punishment, but the wrath of God. And in Christ, praise God, all of the Father's wrath has been absorbed and forgiveness has been purchased and applied And so civil punishment, even civil execution, does not have to be feared for those in Christ because in Christ to die is gain. So there's great mercy and grace, even for those who have caused unjust suffering. And Jesus can cover any person's sins if they would but turn to him. He has purchased forgiveness and reconciliation by his blood on the cross And so we need to tell those who've been involved in abortion that there is a way that they don't have to live with the cognitive dissonance. There's a way that they don't have to uh, create an alternative reality where God is not the author of this world and of the laws that are written on our hearts, where God is not in control of all the universe and all the laws of the world and of creation, they don't have to live with a shriveled up soul. And they also don't have to live with the guilt that comes from not creating that reality and instead facing your sin. And they don't have to fear. They don't have to fear because if they would just turn to Christ, they would be forgiven. So they don't have to turn to a world where they can't accept objective reality. Because one day, one day that world is going to be destroyed 
and all that's going to be left is the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. And so what we want to tell people who have been involved in abortion is do not hide in the darkness, but come into the light and be forgiven of all of your sin. And then we tell them, then join with us and join with all those who are declaring that abortion is murder and that babies in the womb are human beings created in the image of God, that personhood begins at conception and that unborn children deserve equal protection under the law. We disciple them. We make disciples and we teach them to observe and obey all that Jesus has commanded. And then we want to see them. We want to see them turn from their sin, trust in Jesus, live as forgiven and free people by God's grace. That's what we want to tell people who've been involved in abortion. That's what we want to say to them. We want to say that to them. So anyway, I hope that this has been encouraging and uh, maybe centering. It's always good for me personally to just uh, revisit, you know, the 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 big truths and and keep the main thing the main thing uh remembering that all of our efforts all of our efforts to abolish abortion are for naught and in, in vain if they're not done for the glory of god and for the advance of the gospel and for the joy of this world so it's with those big ideas that i want to just ever so often i want to bring those back to our attention with an episode like this where we just call our minds back to remembering uh, the glorious truth that motivates us and the great hope that it gives us as we're working toward the abolition of abortion in Missouri. And again, this has been the Abolish Abortion Missouri podcast where we believe children are truly a heritage from the Lord and we are working toward the immediate and total abolition of abortion in Missouri. I encourage you, thank you so much for Uh, listening, but I encourage you to like and subscribe, but most importantly, share this podcast, share it with uh, believers and unbelievers alike, share it with pro-life people, abolition people, pro-choice people, and we want to see more people be able to uh, hear what we have to talk about, learn more about abolition. I also encourage you, deeply encourage you to go to the abolishabortionmo.org website, abolishabortionmo.org website, sign up for our newsletter where we will keep you informed and apprised of opportunities. We're getting ready to really gear up and head into the next uh, election season. And during that time, it's going to be very important, very important that uh, we have people united, um, working together toward the same goals fighting the right fronts at the right times. And we want you to be able to be involved and be a help. The best way to do that is to sign up for our newsletter. Again, thank you so much for listening and abortion must be abolished.